0: I would encourage you to rise as we read God's Word this morning from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. Here the reading of God's Word. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory, and their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to, even to subject all things to himself. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we are thankful. We're thankful that you've given us your word. We are thankful that it is your word, and because it is your word, I pray that you would guide your words to these people gathered here this day, that you would take the words that of mine to to the hearts and the souls, that you would nourish and strengthen, grow and protect, and that we may be more like Christ. So wash over us, guide us and protect us, we pray in Jesus' strong name, amen. You may be seated. We all have goals, don't we? We like goals. They're important. We all set them. We set all kinds of goals. They look and feel different in different seasons of life, I think, however. As a young person, our goals may have been to make the honor roll or all states or all region in some various activity. Our goals may have been as simple as make your bed every day, right? Or maybe that was a goal your mom had for... Nonetheless, in our young adult days, perhaps the, the goal was to find that certain special someone that you would spend the rest of your life together and you could have children and a family with. Perhaps it was to find a job that made you happy and fulfilled and satisfied. And, or maybe it was a job to make you lots of money. Goals. We like goals. We set goals for our careers. We set goals for our families, for our marriages, for our church. We set goals for just about anything and everything. We like goals. And we set goals for all sorts of things. This is why we find Paul's writing so easy to read, don't we? Because Paul's pretty straightforward. He says, here's the goal. Go get it. And we like that. Because it's very clear instructions. It's a whole lot easier to read that kind of scripture than it is to, let's say, read numbers where it's really hard to find the goal where it's really hard to find what is the point of what the lord is trying to say to us paul pretty much maps it out for us here's what's happening here's what jesus has done here's how you move forward right so paul's literature and writing is much much easier but i want to take it one step further we like goals we like paul's writing because it gives us some control Right? We're able to control our goals. We can make the choice to continue and to fulfill our goals. We can also make the choice to uh, I don't feel like doing that today. But it's, at least it's our control. At least we can have some type of understanding of, of this, right? makes sense to us. Paul makes sense to us. Because good Christians, we know what goals are. Because this is what we do. And even here, in this section of Paul's letter to his friends, the goal that Paul is saying is, there's the prize. Don't stop running until you get it. Okay. Okay. Because we like that kind of control. Actually, we love that kind of control. Especially when it comes to our goals. We're able to control the ways, the means, and even the end but in this section of the letter Paul realizes something about himself he realizes something about his friends in Philippi you see in the preceding section of the letter that we talked about last week Paul tells his friends that he's counted all that he has as lost because he has gained Christ and maybe maybe Paul here in this section of this chapter of Philippians is saying oh, wait a minute, that sounded fairly arrogant, that sounded fairly um, conceited. I've gotten here, right? I've I've cast all of those things aside, and they're all lost to me. I've arrived because I have Jesus. You just need to get to where I am. You have to be more like me and cast everything away and get to the point where all you have left is Jesus. Then we're talking, right? And Paul now, I, it seems to me, step, takes a step back and says, that didn't sound, that didn't come out the way I wanted it to, necessarily. Because then he says, not that I'm perfect. Right? You see that in verse 12? He says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Not that I've already obtained this, which he's talking about, all of the things, casting everything away, receiving Jesus. He says, not that I've already retained that. Let me, let me take half a step back. Everything I said is right and good. But I haven't gotten there yet, and I'm not there yet. There's still a race to be run. There's still a goal that's out there. I'm not perfect yet. I'm still on this race. I still am striving. I'm still impressing on. Has he arrived? Many of us would say if, if anybody has arrived, Paul's arrived. But I wonder, is there anything left for Paul? Because he has gained Christ? He must be perfect. They must follow him, because he has it all together. But of course, the answer is no. Paul tells us that clearly. He has not arrived. He is not perfect. Paul is saying, as a matter of fact, he's at the beginning. He's at the beginning of the journey. And it's there. This is, this is the first step of of the race of pressing on towards knowing Christ, all that much more. Because if you remember last week, or you don't remember last week, that's what we talked about. The goal is knowing Jesus. It's about having Christ, and nothing else. And in this section of Scripture, Paul's saying exactly the same thing, just in perhaps a little bit different words. The goal, the prize, is Jesus. It's Jesus. In our culture, We place an incredible amount of weight on certain things. We place an incredible amount of weight on money, on career, on position, status, athletic performance. All of these things, these things are important to us. Really important to us. In church circles, we place importance on how many people are in church, what's our budget, what's our mission team look like, Right? All this, this is, these are the, the hierarchy of goals and importance and if we don't meet those then somehow we're just a little bit less somehow we don't quite measure up we place an incredible amount of weight on a number of things and one of the things that whether we really think about it all that much or not is that we place a great deal amount of weight and importance and significance upon is at the beginning it's the beginning of something we love our New Year's goals, don't we? They're really important to us. We like the beginnings. We don't always like the journey. We don't even like, always like the end, but we like the beginning. We like the beginning of a new football season or baseball season. We like the beginning of a new school year. We don't always like the journey, especially when our teams are no good or school's hard. We like new jobs because they're exciting. We like the beginning. Even in our spirituality, our culture tends to put a great deal of emphasis on the beginning. When did you know Jesus for the first time? When was that moment? Or when was that not moment? Or or was your life a, 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 a list of things that God has been faithful to you over your life? But when's the beginning? When did it all start for you? Tell me that story. We idolize these things almost. We idolize the moment of conversion. Some of us even long for a dramatic conversion story. Like somehow the the idea of God's faithfulness is is lessened and is cheapened if we don't have a dramatic conversion story. Some of us wish that we had a life of covenant faithfulness to us because we wish we didn't have to go through life like that before a conversion story. We wish our beginning was before we even begun. We idolize the beginnings, the the starts, because we like the drama. We like the sensation of it all, don't we? And yet here, Paul is saying to his friends, yes, those things are important. However, this thing called life, this thing called being a Christian, this thing called being a community of faith, a body of believers, it's a bit more like a long run. Than it is a start. There's a journey. There's a race to be run. And there is, yes, a goal. And there is, yes, a prize. But for us, that doesn't seem so dramatic. It doesn't seem so sens- sensational. That seems arduous. That seems hard. That seems tiring. That seems long. There's not a whole lot of sensation about that, is there? But what Paul is putting before us and what I want to put before us that the journey of knowing Jesus is an adventure of a lifetime. And let us love every step of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, the laughs and the tears. But what is Paul really saying here? This is, much, this is very much the reality of life, isn't it? These ups and downs. But he's also realizing that this where he's saying that this is a, this is a journey and this is a long, a long process. He's also a little bit of a double-edged sword that Paul is playing on in these few verses. For there, there are some in this church in Philippi and in the circles that we live in today, there, who, there are some of us who strive for moral perfection every day. right? Paul is saying you need to be perfect. You need to keep pressing on. You need to keep striving. Keep going after the goal. Keep doing these things. And that really resonates with some of us. Yes, that's exactly what I need, Paul. I need instructions, I need a detailed, organized plan as to, okay, this is how I get there. This is what I need to do. And some of us just love it. But then there's other of us on the other side of that coin, like, I don't need another list. I don't need another PowerPoint. I don't need the rules. I just need to be me. Right, But then he's also speaking to those of us who fall into that category. You, you can't just live that way either. That doesn't always flow correctly. There is grace and there is mercy. And Paul is trying to preach to both sides of the camp. So what do you do with all of this? Whether you're a rule follower or rules are more like guidelines. What do we all do with this? What do we do with the clear instruction that Paul says to run this race? Here's a goal. Pursue after it. Essentially what Paul is saying to both camps and to us this morning is, get in the game. Get in the race. Run the race. Don't sit on the sidelines. You have to engage. You have to engage your culture. You have to engage your neighbors. You have to engage your community, your workplaces, your jobs, your schools, your churches, your streets. Stop sitting on the sidelines. Engage in knowing Christ. Engage in the community. Engage in service. Engage in being the people that Jesus is transforming and making new. As Christians, we're not supposed to be passive onlookers. Just watching the world go by. And casting shots at it and saying, That's terrible, that's terrible, that's terrible. I can't believe that's happening. Paul is saying, Engage, love, serve, know one another, know your neighbors, know different opinions, no different perspectives, no stories, know each other, engage. We're not to be passive onlookers in this world around us. We are to be in the mix of those around us. We are to serve those around us. We are to know those around us. We are to serve this church. We are to be in the mix. In the game. Let's just play out what the illustration that Paul is using. Not many of you, I don't think. There are some of you in this room who have. Have you ever been in a competitive race, or like run a five k, or a half marathon, or a full marathon? And there's lots of people around you, and you're about mile four or five, and it begins to you get a little lather going up, and the person next to you has got a little lather going up, and you're running next to them, and you're all running hard, and you bump up against the other person, and you're like, ooh, it's not always the most pleasant thing, but we're running the race together. And we're with it and we're engaging and we're not sitting on the sidelines, but we're on this path. We're we're going towards that goal of knowing Christ. And so it's that sense in which we're together in this race. And there's ugliness and there's bitterness and there's brokenness and there's joys and there's laughter and there's tears and there's sorrow, there's sweat and there's blood and there's all of these things when you run a race. And this is the very illustration that Paul is using for us. But the last thing he's saying to us is just sit on the sidelines. No, run. And so each of us, the encouragement that Paul is giving his people at Philippi, is the same encouragement he's giving to us here. Serve. Love. There's not one of us in this church that should not have some role to play in this church. There's not one of us in this church that should not have one role in this church. From the smallest to the oldest. And this really is the point of what Paul's getting after here this morning. And we're going to get to, back to that in just a moment. But I want that just to settle in for a minute. And I know that may sound a little bit uh, heavy-handed. But remember that Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is an encouragement. He's trying to encourage them to serve. Encourage them to love. But he's also given them the reality of what's happening. The reality of who they are and what they are and what they have and why they should love and why they should serve. And so, but being engaged then is also asking and answering the question of, why should I? Why should I serve? Why should I love? Why should I run the race? Why should I be engaged? I don't want to put in the effort. I don't, I don't want to get messy. I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to get tired. I'm already tired. Why should I help? Why should I serve in nursery or Sunday school? Why should I serve on a committee? Why should I serve on a missions team? Why should I know my neighbor? Why should I invite my neighbor over for dinner? Why should I know their story? My role is to show up. My role is to show up and to receive and to push the button on my garage door to pull in and push the button again. Clearly, Paul is teaching his friends to press on. Press on in the daily adventure of knowing Christ. Be in the game. So the motivating factor in all of this, what makes this all possible, that motivating factor is the very thing that makes all the Philippians possible. Look at verse 12 with me again. Paul fully acknowledges that he is not perfect. That he's not arrived to perfection. There's still work to be done in his life and yet he presses on. How? Why? At the very end of verse 12, we get the answer that all of this rests upon. That all of what this letter, all of what this sermon rests upon, Paul gives us the answer straight away. Why do this? Why serve? Why love? Why engage? Why be in the race? Because... Christ Jesus has made me His own. That's the answer. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. That is the motivating factor. It's the very thing that holds on to Paul. Now, I'm not going to quibble with the decisions that the editors of the ESV that we're reading from this morning have made, but it seems to me that we may be better served if we translated that word made us, excuse me, that Jesus made me his own. There, there are a number of different nuances of that verb. It's, it's really a verbal phrase, but there's a number of different nuances that we could play around with on that. And the editors of this particular transition, translation made this decision, it's fine, it's good. Like I said, I'm not going to quibble with it. If it was me, and it's not, but if it's me and I have this opportunity to tell you what I think, I think really what would be a better translation would be the verb grasp or hold securely, right? To to grab onto this. So we could say, if we use that translation, Paul holds on or grasps knowing Jesus as the most important thing because, do you see because again? Because Jesus holds on, grasps, knows Him. I do this because Jesus first grasped me. What's the motivating factor? That before you ever made any kind of decision, before you made any kind of goal, before you set out to do anything, before you could ever make any step forward, even to put on the running gear, before there was a dramatic experience of conversion, or life of covenant faithfulness, before there was baptism of any kind, Jesus knew you. Jesus knew you, and he now knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your temptations. He knows your fears. He knows your anxieties. He knows all the reasons why we don't serve, or we don't engage, or we don't love. Jesus knows your anxieties. Jesus knows the things you do in public. And yes, he knows the things you do in private. Jesus knows the fears and the joys. Jesus knows the intimate details about your thoughts and your emotions, about the things that possess your soul. And all the while, Jesus pressed on. All the while, He knew all of those things about you. Jesus pressed on toward you and moved toward you He pressed on in order that we would know him, in order that we would know one another and each other. You see, because he knows every detail about you. This is what Paul is saying. I want to know Jesus because he already knows everything about me. I press on because Jesus pressed on for me. This now is the rationale behind Paul telling his friends, press on. Press on towards knowing Jesus. Press on towards making this your own. Press on because in our brokenness and in our inability to pursue Him, He humbled Himself and took on flesh, if you remember a few verses prior in the book of Philippians. Press on because in our brokenness, Jesus was obedient. Press on because in our brokenness, He pursued us to the point of death, even death on a cross. In our brokenness, Jesus holds on to you and makes you His own. In this humble obedience, Jesus draws you from the breathlessness of sin and misery and breathes new life. Transforms us. Makes you His own. So now the command that Paul says, press on, becomes a lot easier to swallow, doesn't it? Jesus presses on towards you. Press on. Jesus moves towards you. Press on. Jesus knows you. Press on. Jesus loves you. Press on. Jesus died for you. Press on. Jesus rose again from the dead. For you. Press on. You begin to see what Paul is doing here. This is what Jesus has done. Press on. However, we live in a world where we feel like all we do is Press on, don't we? I know that feeling all too well right now. It seems like schedule upon schedule upon schedule is just overwhelming. I've tried to schedule coffee with a number of people the last three weeks. Your schedule doesn't match up with mine, and we just crisscross, and it. it doesn't. Everyone's going a million miles an hour. Oh, can't make that time, can't make that time. We can't, oh. It's happened with four or five people in the last two weeks. Everyone's going a million miles an hour. And yet, Paul says, press on. I'm pressing on all the time. How do I press more? I press on at work. I press on at school. I press on at church. I press on in service. There always seems to be something demanding me to press on more. It's exhausting. So, how do I press on? How do I press on in the goal of knowing Jesus? I don't understand. This just seems like one more thing that I have to accomplish it's difficult for me to consider pressing on any further with anything else than what I'm already doing. Paul makes it clear to us, I believe. Or at least he makes it simple. To see just how it is that we are to press on towards this goal in knowing Christ. Remember then as we move forward that the entire motivation, once again, for why Paul is writing this letter It's to point out truth, to point out reality, to point out the the very situation that's at hand at this church, but also to encourage them, to, to, to help them be motivated to move on. Jesus is the one that's moved towards them. This is the encouragement. Jesus loves you. This is the encouragement. Press on. Jesus is the one that holds you tightly. Press on. But how? How do I do this? verses 12 to 16, we find our first section of answering that question. The first element of pressing on that Paul gives us this morning is to forget. (laughs) Yes, I can forget something. That's a relief. I'm good at that. I can forget all kinds of things. But yet at the very same time, I don't want to forget certain things. Some things I want to hold on to really tightly because they mean a lot to me. And Paul's going to address that for us here this morning. At the writing of this letter, Paul's about 20 years past that wonderful, dramatic, sensational conversion moment that he had, right? Remember the, the road to Damascus, and if there's ever a sensational and dramatic conversion moment, Paul's got it. But he's about 20 years past that day, give or take, right? My math may be a little bit off, but he's sometime down the road. In those 20 or so years, Paul has accomplished a lot. Paul has done amazing things. He's traveled the world. He's been tortured. He's been beaten nearly to death. He's been imprisoned. He's, been, he's seen many come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is Paul's life. He's been all over the world. Successes, failures. And now he's imprisoned in a Roman prison and writing to a Roman colony. There are many things to which Paul can look back upon his life and say, That box is ticked. I did that. That's pretty good. That box is ticked. I've done that. That's pretty good. Those 10 boxes are ticked. Yep, that's pretty good. Success, 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 success. We can point those things out too as well in Paul's life, but even perhaps maybe our life. There are many things you can look back and say, yeah, it was a well-fought fight. I ran that race pretty well. I did a sub-four marathon. I did a sub-three-hour marathon. I've done that. It's pretty. It's, it's, ah, it's good. He's raced hard and pressed on for many years. He's seen the ups and downs of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And yet here in this letter, Paul is saying to his friends, perhaps maybe even assuming that none of them have done nearly enough of, or nearly what he has done in his converted Christian life. What is he saying to them? Forget it all those boxes I checked, erase them all. Forget it. They're in the past. Now, of course, Paul didn't ultimately forget those things because he does reference them in his letters. But he's saying the things that make me a supposed success, forget them. He did not constantly think back upon his successes. Yeah, I've done that. That's pretty good. Accomplished that. That group came to know Jesus, planted that church. Oh yeah, planted that church too, and that one, and that one, and that one. Yeah. But that wasn't his motivation. That's not what he dwells upon. He says all those things are in the past. He holds them somewhat closely, but he realizes the race continues. It moves forward. It goes on. He actually goes one step further and says that he actively and consciously chooses to forget those things, because there are things directly in front of him that are more important, that require him to press on towards the goal. One commentator says this, Forgetting is not a passive loss of memory. No, it is an active, continuous discipline of the mind and heart. Although he did not actually forget the past, he emphatically chose to disregard it. He forcefully rejected it. He openly declared a non-observance of his past achievements. This is not a dagger, into our culture of how we like to look at life we have resumes that tell us how great we are we have accomplishments that tell us how great we are and the things we've done we have years of service that tell us how great we are our motivation is to work hard for a number of years and then to sit back and live the good life of retirement isn't that that's how we think of life that's a good christian life to work for 40 50 years and to sit back and enjoy it now i'm not here to i'm not Disregarding retirement. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But what's our motivation and, and, and what is it that we're striving after? Is it a retirement from a career? Is it a retirement from service? Is this what Paul is talking about? We think in terms like these in church too, don't we? I've served my time. Somebody else needs to step in. I've checked that box. Somebody else now has an opportunity to check that box. I've done that. Someone else can now do that. We work hard for a number of years while we have kids and while we serve, and we do the things that we're supposed to do, and then there comes a time when the next generation is supposed to do what they're supposed to do. I've done my time. I've served. I've done it well. I've run that race really hard. Someone else should step up. Paul to the church in Philippi says, you want to know Jesus more intimately? You want to know what it looks like to hold on to Jesus? Press on. Press on. You see, he's chosen to forget those accomplishments. He's chosen to forget all those things and continues to run the race. He is in the game. He's participating. But let me be very clear. We never reach the end of serving one another. We never reach the end. We never reach the end of loving one another. We never reach the end of knowing our neighbors, knowing their stories, knowing each other's stories. We never reach the end of serving, of loving, of serving in whatever capacity. We never reach the end of serving our community. We never reach the end until, as Paul says, to live as Christ and die as gain. Because to serve and to press on means to know Jesus more intimately. For it's while we serve and as we serve is how we know Jesus more intimately. As we serve his people, the youngest in nursery to the oldest in a nursing home, we serve and we press on. Because this is what Jesus has done for us. So we forget. And then we focus. If we don't look behind, we have to look somewhere, right? If, we, if we're forgetting things, then we have to, we have to focus our gaze, our gaze somewhere else. If I'm not going to look in the past, even though it's really attractive to me, where do I turn? Where do I look? Paul gives us the answer. The answer is found in verse 14 and verse 20. Paul says that we need to focus. So let's just look at those two verses quickly. Paul says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then jumping over to 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we then focus our gaze, if not on the past, and not on our accomplishments, and not on the things that we've done for years and years and years and years, now we shift our gaze to Jesus and to our citizenship and to heaven and to glory and all of these things. We focused on the call that is Jesus Christ. Our focus should not be on what the service necessarily is even, but our focus is on Christ. So as we turn away from the things we've accomplished, we don't turn our gaze now upon, well, I've got 50,000 things more I have to do in order to keep pressing on. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying... Turn away from these accomplishments and turn to tasks. He's saying, turn away from these things that you've done and turn to Jesus. Turn to what your citizenship is. Turn to your hope. Turn to your glory. Turn to the promise that's been given to you. We focus on the fact that we've been called by Jesus and He's made us His own. This is where we begin to to focus our gaze, this is where we cast our gaze. I've begun running again after some time away, and it's always difficult regaining ground you've lost. Your conditioning is, is difficult, and being away for some time makes it even harder to accomplish these things. I've recently set some goals for myself, some I have met, and others I'm still pressing on towards achieving. One of those goals, and I'll just be honest with you, is, is running a 5K in under 24 minutes. That's about an 8-minute mile pace, which for an old man, that's, that's moving pretty good. I'm almost there, not quite, but getting there. I'm getting close, but we'll see. But I have my eyes set on something that I have not yet attained. And Paul is saying a similar thing. Set your gaze upon something that you have not yet attained. Not on a task. Not on a job. Not on a committee. All those things are very important and we need to do those things. Where is our gaze cast? It's in our eternal relationship and reward and award with being a citizen of the city of God. You see, Paul is writing to this Roman colony in the Roman Empire. And they're struggling with this idea of citizenship. Where do we belong? Where do we, where do we fit in? How do we get there? And Paul is saying... Don't even look there. Look to the citizenship that you really and truly have as members of the family of Jesus Christ. He's saying to them, you're not defined by your Roman citizenship. You're not defined by your American citizenship or your desire to be an American citizen. You're not defined by the politics. You're not defined by the flag. You're not defined by some banner. You're defined by Jesus Christ because He has grasped you and made you His own. This is who you are. So press on. Press on because the goal then is, 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 is heaven. Right? Is that what he's saying? We press on because we're formed by the Lord Jesus himself. Then he says, you know what? Heaven may not exactly look like what me, we may even think it looks like. For what does he say here at the end of chapter 3? But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it. From heaven, we await a Savior who will come and transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Heaven's coming back here to take our lowly, defeated, tired, aching bodies and make them something new. To remake them. To make them something altogether glorious just as Jesus lowly and... Humble body was placed into a grave and was risen from that grave and has received a glorious body, so too we in our tiredness, in, in in our lowliest state of sin and misery, we too will be transformed and made new. And that's the glorious promise of heaven that Jesus will return and restore and remake and renew all things, including our bodies, this world, and all of these things. This is the promise that we have. This is what we strive towards. This is what we know. So when we think of the end, the goal, how many of us think as heaven is the culmination? Once we get to heaven, everything will be great. But the image that Paul is presenting to us is that the goal is not heaven, but a renewed creation, a new relationship, a new body, a new earth, a new community a new relationship. The end is renewal. The end is restoration. The goal is all things new. As citizens of the city of God, here, together forever with the Lord God Almighty. This hope of being formed into renewed creation allows us to face the lowliness and the difficulty and the tiredness of our existence. So our focus goes from the things to a person, to a hope. Not to the frailty of our bodies, or the frailty of our relationships, or to the frailty of our emotions, or even the totality of life. All of these things are formed into something new. Into something glorious. So why do we press on? Because we have that hope. Because we have that truth because we have that kind of Savior. Friends, press on. Press on because Jesus has pressed on towards you. Press on because He has made you His own and He gives you a hope. And He made you His own as a citizen of His family, of His kingdom, of His city. Let us await that hope. Let's press on to that goal. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank You that You have indeed pressed on, that You have known us, that You know us, and You will continue to know us. Thank You that You've given us Your life, Your death, and Your resurrection. And we look forward to the day when You will make all things new. May that day come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come this day. But if it's not this day, give us strength to press on. May we remember that you pressed on towards us. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen.